honored him as he came into Jerusalem. One of the things that we can read through the scriptures is that three different times leading up to this moment, he told the disciples that when, the next time I go to Jerusalem, they're going to kill me. And each time, there were different reactions. And Peter, in particular, at one point, was really upset. He said, no. You know. And Jesus looked at him and said, get behind me, Satan. Now, you would think... If you were telling somebody you loved, like, I don't want anybody to kill you. Please don't die. Let's not go. <laughs> They're going to kill you. That your response wouldn't be to call them Satan. But Jesus was really trying to make a point, saying, that isn't Peter's thought. That isn't God's thought. That Satan just threw a thought in his ear, and he said it, because it sounded like something he should agree with. But that thought was from Satan. Because, see, Satan knew that the Messiah would be, obviously, sacrificed. And if he could discourage Jesus from obeying the Father, right, we wouldn't have this blessing. So it, it's just a good reminder for all of us. A lot of times we think every thought that pops into our head is our own. It's not. Sometimes it's God trying to influence us to do the right thing. Sometimes it's Satan tempting us to do the wrong thing. And sometimes it's just us thinking things up, thinking we're coming up with a great plan. So we know that Jesus fully understood what coming into Jerusalem was going to mean. And obviously on Good Friday, we're going to talk about how he actually went up on the cross and died that day and why he did that and how that affects our lives. But then on Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, we then get to celebrate the fact that because he was God, that the death was just temporary. He came down in human form to be, you know, human with us and to experience this, to be that sacrifice, but that, that didn't define him. We feel as though this body defines us. We're made in God's image. We have a spirit and a soul and a body. This body does not define us. Because he was God, he could just raise his body back up when he was done doing what he needed to do. As humans, our bodies will go, but our spirit, our soul, we will go and have eternity still let to, yet to live. So our body doesn't define us, and he knew that. So why would he go? Why did Jesus even have to come in the first place? He went to the cross, he went to Jerusalem because he wanted to set us free. Now, that's a hard concept for a lot of us, especially the Jewish people at the time that were there, because they didn't think they were in slavery. They didn't think they were in bondage. What does set free mean? And we'll look at the passage where he read out of Israel where he talks about the chains being broken. You're set free from something that's holding you captive. So, you know, for some animals, maybe they're set free from the zoo. If you've never gone to the zoo and just thought, like, oh, I just would love to set them free. I, I mean, I eat meat, and I still think that sometimes. I mean, let's just be real. Like, that's just in our hearts. Sometimes we see something. I have a really hard time with birds being in captivity. That's just me. But I'm just like, oh, I need to fly. Right? I have a tortoise who all day crawls around this, the biggest box I could get on, the biggest tank I could find, and he just kind of burrows down into the sawdust or sand or whatever it is, and he just sits there all day. 
he'll come out, need a carrot, he goes back in. And I understand how tortoises live in their life cycle and this and that. I have no problem with him being here with no predators and fresh carrots and strawberries and all this stuff all the time. But birds, oh, I just want to set them all free. We were at this resort one time in this big cage, and it's outside. I'm like, you have a bird in a cage outside. Oh, this bird hears the other birds. This bird can see the other birds flying like he can see freedom. Every day I did not open that cage and let them loose, but I wanted to. <laughs> I, I really wanted to. I thought, maybe, oh, my last day. What are they going to do? You know? But I didn't. But my point is, will you get set free from things that you know are holding you captive? And most of the time, though, you don't recognize that you're being held captive. So in the life of God's interaction with people, we see him wanting to bless people. He wanted to bless Adam and Eve. So he said, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Once they had knowledge that they were not perfect like God, it says they ran and hid and would not meet with God. So all of a sudden now, they're rejecting God. And he wants to bless them with interaction. So people just kind of do their own thing. They knew there was a God that created them, but they do their own thing. But Noah, out of everyone, still heard from God. God talked to Noah and said, hey. He said, hey. He said, okay, you're the only one in the world that will talk to me. I'm going to tell you what's happening. And Noah built an ark, saved his family, saved all the animals. And God then let the destruction come because mankind had gotten so evil. So Noah raises his boys to understand who God is. We have a whole new generation of people rise up. People start doing their own thing. They're not talking to God. And God looks down and said, who will talk to me? I promised I wouldn't flood again, so what am I going to do? There's only one man left that will talk to me. I guess I'll bless him and his descendants, and I'll set them apart. And that was Abraham. So God said, hey. Abraham said, hey. And he blessed him, just like he did with Noah. I gave him some instructions. Abraham heard God. He obeyed. He did that. But what was interesting is in all these cases, and especially with Abraham's story, then it goes down a few generations, and then there's twins, there's Jacob, there's Esau. Jacob's willing to hear from God. And then out of those 12 kids, Joseph gets thrown into a situation. He ends up in Egypt. But when you read through Joseph's story, every time a big major situation would come up, he would say, I honor God. He got accused of something bad, and he goes, I didn't do that. I honor God. Somebody said, hey, can you, you're super smart. You can do this for me. Well, I can do that because I honor God. And so we see that God continuously wants to bless. And for them to be blessed, they have to hear from God and go where God wants to bless them. So for Abraham, it was the promised land. Go to the promised land. And so when they found out the children of Israel that there was going to be this famine and that Joseph was in Egypt and there was a temporary blessing there. They go, they get food, they all get established in Egypt and rather than going back to the promised land when the famine was over, they stayed where it was convenient. I like to call that our comfort zone. 
not all of us actually like our comfort zone, but, you know, those who do counseling and psychology, they call it that because emotionally you're comfortable in that and it's harder for you to leave that to go somewhere else. Just so I make this clear, if a woman is, or a man is in an abusive marriage, that's not comfortable, doesn't feel good, but emotionally leaving that marriage and breaking free is so hard that they stay where they're uncomfortable because it's technically their comfort zone. Does that make sense? All right, so sometimes we stay in situations because that's what we're used to, and it seems too hard to get away from it. Or we're in a position where we think, that, well, this person's going to change, there's healing, there's, there's conversation going on, and I'm going to wait it out. So that's different. But in general, we don't move forward or get free from where we're at because we're comfortable where we're at. And sometimes, like some of the different birds or animals or like the Israelites, they don't realize that they're being held captive. So many years had gone by, and Joseph's now dead, and the children of Israel are now the Egyptian slaves. And they grew from a family of a roughly 70 people into about like 200,000 people. And they are the slaves in Egypt. And the people begin to cry out to God and say, we should have left when we were told to, right? I mean, their matriarch, Jacob, had said, when you go back home to the promised land, take my bones with you. You know, when, when, when you go, take Joseph's bones with you. Like, you know, we, at a certain point, we need to leave here and go back, and they hadn't. A lot of years had gone by, and they hadn't left. Like 200 years, 400 years, I don't remember. A long time had gone by. So they needed to get free, so Moses became this person that became a spokesperson and ultimately they were told tomorrow's the day we're all leaving. So tonight go out to our flocks and get a lamb find a perfect lamb. Don't find one that oh well this guy's missing an eye and he's probably not going to survive so I'll just eat him up. No, find a perfect lamb. No broken bones, nothing wrong with him. And we're going to sacrifice him in honor of God's rescue. And we're going to take the blood of that lamb and we're going to put it on our doorposts of our homes. And tonight, to finally get this full message across to the Egyptians, because we've already had all these other plagues and they're not listening, tonight, the death angel is going to go across Egypt in the firstborn of the flocks, of the people, they're all going to be killed. But all of us who put the blood of the lamb over the doorposts of our home will be covered and nobody in our household will die. And so the people were like, huh, really? Well, he said frogs would come and they'd came. He said fleas would come and they came. He said hail would come everywhere but our land and it came. I often think, like, why didn't God just do that one? 
because the children of Israel wouldn't have put the blood on their doorposts. They would have thought Moses was crazy. But because this plague had come, and 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 everything he had said had happened, when all of a sudden he said, go get a lamb, they were like, where is the lambs? Hey, none of mine had babies. I'm going to give you way more than what it's worth. Give me a lamb. I need a lamb. And they took that blood, and they put it on the doorposts of all of their homes. He said, to eat all the meat... Get ready for traveling, so get rid of all the yeast in your house. So we know that night, when they would traditionally have bread with their meal, because they were told to get rid of all the yeast, they had this unleavened bread, which is bread you just cook without yeast, so you don't wait for it to rise. And they had their meal. The next day they wake up, all the Egyptians are screaming and crying and mourning, and they are just so upset. And they tell all the, Egypt, or the Israelites, get out of here now. And they had this very short window. And they had to grab everything, and they left. And they became free. They were no longer in chains and in slavery, and where the Egyptians would come, and they would take their babies and throw them in the river, or they would beat them or jail them. All of a sudden, now they are free. And the Israelites began to go to the promised land. And after they finally get out of there, they're across the Red Sea, and they're on the other side, they're traveling, Moses tells the people, every year, recreate this day that set us free. Don't forget, tell your children how we got ourselves in a situation where we were all slaves, and God set us free. And so every year, they would have a Passover meal to remember what God did for them. So as Jesus goes into Jerusalem to be with the Jewish people to have this meal, he's like, I came to set you free. I came to set you free. And so all the people around him are like, well, then free us from the Romans. We had Egyptians over us before, and now we've got Romans over us. Free us from the Romans. Because the first freedom we got was a physical body freedom to not be slaves anymore. Free us from the Romans. And he was like, governments are going to rise and they're going to fall. That's not the freedom you need. You need to be free up here. See, their spirit and their soul was in chains, but they didn't see it. They're like, what are you talking about? Like, they could get the healings, like, okay, yeah, grandma's sick, and you pray for her, and she's healed. You brought freedom to her body. But how are you going to free me? I'm physically fine. I need to free you and your spirit. I need to free you and your soul. And they were so confused, because they were like, how do we need freedom? But if you actually read through the Gospels, you will see him say to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you who put weight and burdens on the people. And they're looking at him going like, we're just teaching the law. Moses, as they had left Egypt, had given them society laws. God had given them the Ten Commandments. And then Moses, as he's up there, because he had been in Pharaoh's house, he understood how a society and government works, gave them over 300 and some laws, 333, 36 laws, or whatever it is, about how to wear their clothes and how to cut their hair 
and how to handle things. If What if you have a sister and her husband dies and she doesn't have a son? Where does she go live? So that's one of the laws. Well, what if, what if the father dies and they don't have any sons and this and that? Well, there's a law that tells you how to do it. So all of these governmental laws were given to bless the children of Israel so they would understand how to run their government and be able to you know, prosper and continue on, and it has worked. The Jewish people are the only ones that can trace their lineage back 6,000 years. All the other cultures of antiquity really are not here anymore. There's like maybe one village in Africa that you know, can trace back to a very long time, but they're not widespread with people all over the world like the Jewish people are. So God's laws did bless the Jewish people. We know that. But what was a blessing became slavery. When the Jewish people went to Egypt because of the famine, that was a blessing. It was a blessing that Joseph was there and was able to provide. That was a blessing. But they stayed too long, and they looked at Egypt as their provider, and they became slaves. God gave the children of Israel the law to be a blessing. If somebody dies and you handle a dead body and you don't know how they died, don't go home to your wife and kids. Go make a little tent. Go sit outside of the village for 10 days. And as long as you're not sick at the end of the 10 days, go home. That seems not like a blessing. That seems very inconvenient to me. Unless the person you just handled has smallpox and you go home and everybody in your family is dead. So as inconvenient sometimes as some of these laws were to the people, they were a blessing. The laws either had to do with physical body stuff, had to do with emotional relationship stuff, like don't lie to people, don't sleep with your neighbor's wife, he's going to hate you. Or your relationship with God, your spiritual stuff. Honor God. Don't worship any other idols. Don't look to the statue of a cat as your savior because when all of a sudden you got a problem, that cat's not going to do anything for you. So don't have any other idols. Keep your eyes fixed on me. So when all of a sudden you got a problem, you know who to talk to. But unfortunately for the Jewish people, the law that was once a blessing now became a burden because they looked to the law to save them instead of saying, God, you save me. And so Christ comes to set us free. We see here in John chapter 1, verse 29, that when John the Baptist, who was a prophet, who was a cousin of Jesus's, who began his ministry actually before Jesus did, and he had been saying, the Messiah is coming, the Messiah is coming. When Jesus came through and he had water baptized him and the Holy Spirit fell on him, he began then telling everybody, the Messiah has come. And there he is. And he says that John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, why would a prophet look at the Messiah and say, number one, you're the Lamb of God? They understood who the Lamb was. The Lamb was what you killed and you used that blood to cover your house so that death would pass over. He looked at him and says, he's got to be killed and his blood has got to be shed. He's going to be the ultimate sacrifice for us. We're now going to be able to put his blood on the doorpost of our heart and of our home. Jesus says, this is a dwelling. 
we are a dwelling. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. When you put his blood over you, death goes over. But he says it, he goes, he goes, who takes away the sin of the world. The only way that they knew was don't sin, even though that was impossible and they did sin. Jesus takes away the sin. How does he take it away? We still do bad things. Because that is now no longer your source in whether or not you go to heaven. The, the good things that the law gives us are very evident still to this day. Now, some of them culturally don't apply to us, right? I can eat pork, but I want to make sure I cook it all the way through. Out on a desert campfire, there was no way for them to cook it all the way through. So God just said, don't eat pork. But the benefit of understanding that law still is here today. But that's not my source of how I get to heaven. If the last meal I eat is pork, and then I have a heart attack and die, I don't go to hell because I just had a sandwich from Arby's. We go to hell because we don't believe in Jesus. I love how there's so many different scriptures. Galatians is great. Um, Romans, Acts. The Jewish people would go out and tell the Gentiles about Christ. The Holy Spirit would fall. They would accept Jesus. And then they would move on. And the next Jewish person that would come through that accepted Jesus would be like, why are you eating pork? Well, nobody said anything about pork. They just told me about Jesus. And I believe in Jesus. And I'm speaking in tongues. And healing is coming to our community. And we're walking in love towards each other. And they would be like, but you don't understand all the Jewish laws. And so they began to write to the apostles to say, what do we have to do? Which laws do we follow? And they said, you have not received salvation because of the law. Let's look at this here in Galatians chapter 3. Paul had to write to this group of Christians because they were asking him, which of the laws do we follow now? And Paul says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly betrayed as crucified, portrayed. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? I love how he says, you clearly understood that Jesus went to the cross and died for you. That is your salvation. Believing that he was that ultimate sacrifice. Belief in him. But now you're wondering which laws will save you? Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? They didn't even know what the law was. Abraham, when God said, I want to bless you, he didn't have law. Jacob, I want to bless you, he didn't have the law. The law didn't come for another 400 years later. Have you experienced so much in vain if it really was in vain? So again, I ask you, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law? Or by your believing what you heard? So Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand, then, that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. 
For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God, because the righteous will live by faith. Do you want to be righteous in front of God? Then live by faith. Don't be like a Pharisee and put the law on other people. The Holy Spirit, they, what they need is a relationship with God and the Holy Spirit to fill their heart. The Holy Spirit will convict them of what they need. There's some of us that we have the Holy Spirit tell us, don't drink. It's not good for you. It causes problems. There's other people that they can attend a wedding once a year and have a glass of wine and cheer and go home and have absolutely no desire to ever touch it again and it doesn't affect them. There's some people that maybe every weekend they have a beer and they have no problem. But there's other people that it does. So should we just have a law that there's no alcohol? Well, then we're going back to the law. How about let the Holy Spirit in your heart convict each person of what they need to be able to live life blessed? The goal here is Christ came to bless us. How do we get blessed? By letting the Holy Spirit fill us. And then let him point us where we go. Why was Abraham blessed? Because he could hear from God and follow his direction. His direction in life was different than everybody else around him. Why was Jacob different than Esau? Because he could hear from God. And he obeyed God where he wanted him to go. There wasn't a law telling him how to live. It was a relationship with God and hearing his voice. He says that here in verse 12, the law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says, the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. I love that. Why did Christ come? So you could be redeemed from the curse and be blessed. To be set free. Curses hold you captive. Thinking that you can only be good if you follow a law. And you can never attain that. So I just constantly feel bad about myself. Puts you captive. But to walk in blessings means that you are redeemed from the curse. You've been set free from the curse. What was the blessing? We see it in Genesis chapter 12. Again, long before there was ever a law, God looked down and said to Abraham, The Lord had said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. And so Abraham went as the Lord told him. All of us are blessed because it's really that simple. Because all Abraham had to do was believe in God. And we are told that if you believe in Christ... You are saved. And I love what he said. This is what Jesus said here. 
in John 10.10. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus came so that you could have life and have it to the full. Not only does he want you to be saved and be in heaven when you die, but he wants you to have a full life while you're here on earth. And that means you have to be redeemed from the curse and walk in blessings. So he came to set us free. But that means sometimes we have to leave our comfort zone to walk towards the blessing. Well, it's comfortable if I stay here. But God wants to bless you. Try this. Well, but it's more comfortable if I stay. God, hey, hey, there's a new job. You've been saying you wanted to get into this industry. This job pays twice as much as what you're doing now. Well, I know, but I, you know, I've been here a while. And what if I don't get it? And what if my boss finds out I applied somewhere else? And then he might be mad at me, right? You're in that comfort zone. But God wants to bless you with something else. What is, you know, is that Holy Spirit in you nudging you to go try something else? Maybe, like right today after worship, go say something. See if you're going to make an appointment. Have somebody pray with you. Maybe you shouldn't be all alone in this. Let's see. Maybe you should call your Aunt Susie. She's been through this before, but you're too afraid to speak up because you're in your comfort zone. You're too afraid to go where God wants to bless you. What's interesting is children of Israel were blessed with the promised land, but they decided to stay in Egypt. We don't have to stay in a place where we're held captive. He came to set us free. I love how in Isaiah it talks about the anointing. And, and Jesus actually said this out loud after he first started his ministry. And I don't, I don't think I gave these these the scripture in particular ahead of time. But I just, it's just so good that we should be reminded of it. And, you know, he went in to the temple and they gave him a scroll from Isaiah. And I'm not sure if I want to see it right here. But he read it out loud, and it talked about how he came to set people free. And so many times, the Pharisees just looked at him and said, unless you're going to tell us a way to get rid of the Romans, you can't do anything for us. And he really wanted them to understand that this is beyond the government. And I think that so many times we think this is my problem. God, if you really love me, take care of this over here. If this over here was taken care of, then I would be okay. And until you take care of this over here, I'm not talking to you. I don't want, you know, don't talk to me about God, blah, blah, blah. Because this over here still hasn't been taken care of. And it's kind of like how the Pharisees really, really, really believed that the Romans were the issue. And what he really wanted them to understand was, sometimes you got to step back and say, is that really it or is there something else going on? 
but that takes bravery for us to say to God, examine my heart and show me what it is that I really need. Sometimes we just kind of ignore the issues that we have going on. So I'm just going to go to Isaiah, and I'll read to you where he said this right out of a new heart here. Maybe if I can find it. I'm sure one of you knows. Does some of you know which one I want here in Isaiah? Where it is 61, the, the year of the Lord's favor. So he gets up, the scroll he hands him, he opens it up, he finds this. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim news, good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. <sighs> so he read that out loud, and then he said, today this has been done in your presence. And people were like, who do you think you are? He knew who he was. But what's interesting was when we first were talking about creating a dream center, the Lord kept putting this passage on my mind. He said, that's what I want you to do. That's what I want you to do. That's what I want you to do. And I'm like, ah, uh, no, I'm not, that's not, I don't do that. That's what Christ does. That's not what we are going to do. That's what Christ does. And he said, oh, so you're not representing me to the people then. Who do you represent? Maybe we should represent Eleanor Roosevelt. She really, she did a lot of good things for that were hurting. Maybe we should be more like Mother Teresa. That's who we should represent. Um, who else? Uh, mo most of you probably never done your history into early 1900s women preachers. But Amy McPherson, before there was ever a Red Cross, before <laughs> she had been raised in the Salvation Army, and she's out in L.A., and there's a fire, and she gets a hold of everybody. She gets blankets. She gets food, and she shows up before the firefighters are even getting there to take care of the people that were affected. Maybe we should be Amy McPherson's hands and feet in Michigan and continue her legacy. Should we do that? No. Right? How about we represent Christ and we proclaim the good news to the poor, we bind up the brokenhearted, we proclaim freedom for the captives, we release from darkness for the prisoners, and we proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I think that's what I'm going to do, and I'm going to start right now and say, Christ came to set you free, so let's get free, and then we can go into this community and set more people free. And so... When we celebrate Good Friday, when we celebrate Resurrection Sunday, as we continue through this summer and saying, hey, we got a community service at 6 o'clock on Sunday nights, come. We are not doing that because we need just to fill seats. We are not doing that because we need money to be able to hand out the diapers and the car seats. I can go on the roof every year for three days if I just need money. 
We're doing this because we want to set people free because even though your body is free and you live in America and you're free, some of us, our minds are not free. And we need to know that we can be free. And for some of us, it's not the law. That's what, the, that's what kept the, the Pharisees in bondage. Some of us are. I mean, we were raised maybe very traditional church where the person studying the word didn't recognize this wasn't written to Gentile Christians. That was written to the Jews. So they take those verses out of context and they get in the pulpit and make you feel horrible because you had a lustful thought. When somebody walked in in a pretty dress, you're going to hell now. No, you're not going to hell because you had a lustful thought. If you go to hell, it will be because you've denied Christ. You go to heaven because of what he did on the cross, not because of what you do. You get to go with him because you believe in what he did and you want to be with him. Everyone has been invited to heaven. You can either accept the person inviting you and go to their house, or you can reject the person inviting you and not go to their house. But here on earth, we might be experiencing hell on earth. That's why Christ said, when, how do we pray? What should we pray every day? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Pray for heaven on earth. Because you otherwise are going to experience hell on earth. So every day, ask me for heaven on earth, and I will give you a full life while you're here. And that means in the midst of the storm, when you want to struggle, you call somebody up, you talk to somebody, and you won't be alone because somebody who represents Christ will be there to help you set you free. But, see, our freedoms might not be the law. Some of us it is. For some of us, it might be an addiction, right? For some of us, it might be the, the self-esteem in, in our own mind. For some of us, it's a physical thing. We think it's our mind, but maybe the chemicals in our brain are off. For every single person, it's different. But I do know that Christ wants us to be blessed. Right before he went to the cross, so we, good time to talk about it, right? The week before he goes to the cross, that we remember it. He prays. He prays for himself to be glorified with going to the cross. He prays for his disciples. And then here in John 17, verse 20, it says he prays for all believers, for those who come behind. My prayer is not for them alone. He just got done praying for his disciples that would be there the day after he died. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. We believe because of them. Share your message. My prayer is not for them alone. I also pray for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe. It doesn't say so that the world may follow the law. It says so that the world may believe that you have sent me. It's not enough to say, I believe that Jesus was on this earth. There's so much historical documentation, and I know he lived. You have to believe that he was God come down in flesh, that Father God sent him to be our lamb. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory 
that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. Now, he keeps talking about glory here. I'm like, what does he mean by that? So I, like, looked it up, you know. And when you see, like, different times where the glory, the glory would fill the temple or the glory would be on the top of the mountain or when he was transfixed, the glory was on him, that means the Holy Spirit, God's holy presence. God's spirit comes into you. And he says, so that his presence that you gave me, that spirit that you gave me, may be on them. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. I remember when the author wrote that, he didn't write that in English, but it does come off nice. I like that. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved me, even as you have loved me. Do you know God loves you? He loves you so much. Father, I want those you have given to me to be with me where I am and to see my glory and the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Ah, he came to set us free. He wants us to walk in blessing. But we have to I love, you know how like the word says repent? People are always like, we got to repent from your sins. I'm like, do you know what the word repent means? Nowhere in the New Testament are Gentiles told to follow the law. So what is a sin to a Gentile? How can you sin if you were never given the law? What does repent mean? It means to turn away from something else and to turn towards something. So for the Jewish people, they turned away from their sin and seeing that if I follow the law, I'll go to heaven. And they turned to Jesus to be their salvation. What is a Gentile turning away from? Might be different. Maybe the Romans worshipped Zeus and maybe the Greeks worshipped something else. And maybe some, just one of the letters that Paul wrote talked about this, one area he went to where they just all believed in like their own intelligence and their own way. They could take care of it themselves. They were so smart. They were so cultured that they, doesn't, they don't even need a God. If you turn away from whatever has been your source that you thought was going to save you and you turn towards Christ. So yes, repent. But don't use that word on somebody who thinks that means that they're a sinner. Sometimes we have to use a different word because the definition has changed from what it actually meant. I'd rather say to people, turn to God. Turn to God. You thought alcohol was solving your problems? Turn to God. You thought sex and porn was going to make you better in bed? Turn to God. Because all that's doing is causing it not to be able to pop up when you need it because your wife's never going to look like that. Okay, can you guys handle a little bit of reality? Sorry. Turn to God. Turn to God. Turn to him. In Luke 4, verse 18. Here it is. It was my last verse. Because all that is. I'll, I'll, I'll read you 16 and 17. He's not going to have it. but He went to Nazareth where, they had, where he'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as it was his custom. And he said, stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, and to set the oppressed free, 
to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Uh, it actually goes on. I love to read it all in passage. He then rolled it up and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Uh, he came to set you free. He came to set you free. Do not go into this week. Do not, you know, let Good Friday and Easter go by. You think, I already know. He died. He went to the cross. I believe in him. I've forgiven him my sins and think that's it. And then continue to live hell on earth. This year, let this be the year the Lord's favor comes upon you. Let this be the year where you say, where am I captive? Make a list. Think of the top two things that you struggle with on a regular basis where Satan tries to put shame on you and condemnation on you and say, see, see, God can't bless you because you do this. Guess what? Your blessings don't come because of what you do. But here on earth, earthly, right, actions have earthly consequences. So if you really examine your life and you say, man, I'm really held bondage to this addiction, or I'm really held bondage to this people-pleasing, or I'm really held bondage because of this fear and I'm not moving forward. I want you to write it down somewhere and then go to God and say, you promised me freedom in every area of my life. So now today we're going to talk about this one. And become free. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you so much that Christ willingly came into Jerusalem knowing that he was going to die on the cross. And the part of him that understood the earthly, physical pain the human body was going to go through, but did it anyway because he loved us that much. Thank you. Thank you so much. But I'm also so thankful because you were God. You didn't stay in the tomb. You, you, you rose. And you said, okay, I did that part. Y'all saw it, right? And how he hung out for 40 days and had over 500 people see him ascend. It's just so amazing. Thank you for showing us clearly how amazing you are. But help us today, in this moment, not take what was once a blessing and let it become bondage for us. But may we take the freedom that Christ came and brought and continue to apply it to our lives. So Holy Spirit, I ask you to fill an extra dose in every single person here this week as they begin to examine their lives and say, am I in bondage in any area of my life? That you help them, you show them. You show them the way of escape. You show them where healing will come. You show them the hands and feet of Christ all around them and who can help them and pray with them and be alongside of them. And you show them that they don't have to be alone in their curse or bondage anymore, but that you want to bring them into full freedom and restoration and healing. Because you didn't come just so that we'll go to heaven when we die and have hell on earth. You came so that we can have heaven on earth and heaven when we die because that's the blessing you want for all of us. So bless us, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, you guys have a wonderful week. I am so sorry. I'll be trying to be really good because I know people have Easter plans. On so I.